You are listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. It really doesn't get bigger than this. Of course, I'm talking about Seattle Sports Saturday right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Lydia Cruz to my left, Taylor Jacobs to my right. I'm Curtis Rogers. And oh yeah, there is a massive, massive game coming up tomorrow night between the Seahawks and 49ers for the NFC West title. At least a home playoff game. Who knows if it comes with a first round bye? Who knows if it comes with the number one seed in the NFC attached to it? But uh, man, I want it to be 5:15 Sunday night right now. Like, can I, we just fast forward? Is that I okay? do, and I don't. It's that anticipatory feeling where you're almost so nervous, you just you're excited, you almost want to throw up. I don't know. So I want it's like Christmas or another big event. You want it to come, and yet at the same time. You're you're nervous for the actual result. Luckily, we'll have the uh, college football playoff later today to distract True. us with a little f- good football until we get to tomorrow, and we'll be uh, scoreboard watching throughout the beginning part of the day, and we'll know exactly what's at stake at exactly five fifteen tomorrow. And it's the uh, the hors d'oeuvres. It's Correct. The, the guys coming around with the tray before the big time meal. The deviled eggs, <laughs> if you will. No. You didn't, no, no, any, no, anything I, other than I like the, uh, what is it, the bacon-wrapped little Smokies. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. Bacon-wrapped anything, really? Or how about some just some cocktail shrimp? Yeah, any puff of pastry yeah. with like a nice little filling. I'm down with that. Yeah. I can get behind that. But yeah, I mean, there there's no bigger weekend really on the sports calendar that I can think of. And it's fitting that it's the very final weekend of 2019. It's the final weekend of the decade. Yeah. I mean, it, you put it all into into perspective. Like, yeah, we've been building for this moment really all season, and, and here it is. It is right for the taking, and, and the Seahawks have a tremendous opportunity, and we haven't even gotten to the surprise gift that was under the tree, one Marshawn Lynch coming back to Seattle. Hello, the band's getting back together. That's the, the gift where you open all your presents, and you're, you're sitting back, you're about to go eat breakfast on Christmas morning, and then your parents wheel out something from the back room, and it's like, wait, what? Well, they're like, go outside, and you go outside, and yeah. there's a new basketball hoop in the ground. Because <laughs> oh, it's the biggest and best present. You're yes. right. Yeah. And that's but, how I felt when that news came down. I was refreshing my phone constantly when the news broke that he was going to come on the Pete Carroll Show. Essentially, yeah. he confirmed it earlier this week, but then the fact that he was – Waiting on his physical. I was refreshing my phone. I've never been so invested in a grown person taking a physical, physical. exam, <laughs> but he passed it and then signed. And what do you know? What like I definitely heard all the naysayers on Twitter this week. I, of course, I, you, you of know, course. and we'll and we'll talk about that conversation later in this hour about what you can reasonably expect from a guy that hasn't played a single game this year. At the same time, you're in a situation where you're down to your fourth string running back. And if this even is just a purely emotional ploy, do it. I yeah. mean, what have you got to lose at this point? What other fourth string running back is going to cause an entire stadium to erupt and go <laughs> yeah. insane? None, especially in the end of the year when you're you're playing a game that's so important and you're down a few of the more important players there at running back and you can go out and get that, you know, emotional shot in the arm just by going out and getting the guy named Marshawn Lynch, and if he happens to produce for you, oh boy, it's just going to send that thing into space, into the, into the atmosphere for sure. Coming up about 10 minutes from now, we're going to talk about the kind of lift that Marshawn Lynch can give this Seahawks team 
Uh, Pete Carroll, he spoke yesterday in his Friday press conference, as he does each and every Friday before a game, talking about that very thing uh, that's coming your way in about 10 minutes from now. But right now, we give you this hour's Big Three. Number one. As I mentioned, the band is getting back together. Two familiar names coming back to Seattle. The Seahawks signed running backs Marshawn Lynch and Robert Turbin earlier this week after, unfortunately, losing Chris Carson and C.J. Proceis to a cracked hip and a broken arm, respectively, for the rest of the season. That happened in Sunday's loss to the Cardinals. Lynch has not played a game this season, but did start six games to the Raiders in 2018. Uh, racking up about 376 yards and then 15 the season before when it was 891 yards for Beast Mode. He posted an interview on YouTube, which was fascinating. Um, It's not totally uh, suitable for work, but you should check it out. This was before the signing was actually official, and he talked about why he chose to come back to Seattle. He said because he and the team, he and the city have history. They have unfinished business, and he wants to work uh, alongside them as they go for that second Super Bowl that he believes they deserve. Pete Carroll said that Lynch and Turbin, they're familiar with the game plan, uh, if not the entire playbook, they're up to date on the game plan and they're ready to go on Sunday. So we'll hear more from Marshawn, from Pete Carroll, from teammates at 9.15 a.m. and throughout the show today because this, as we mentioned, is the biggest present under the tree. Number two. Big changes underway for the Huskies following their Las Vegas Bowl victory over Boise State last Saturday. Head coach Jimmy Lake making his very first staff changes, choosing not to retain offensive coordinator Bush Hamden or tight ends coach Jordan Powell. Bush Hamden spending two seasons calling plays for the Huskies, two up-and-down years for the Huskies offense. But the, one of those offenses did produce a couple of, well, actually both of them produce NFL quarterbacks because we learned this week junior quarterback Jacob Eason announcing he'll forego his senior season and declare for the NFL draft. Eason spending one year as the Huskies' starting quarterback, also spent another year in the program, his transfer season. ESPN draft expert Mel Kuyper has Eason as his fourth-ranked quarterback in the class of 2019, about a late first, second-round grade for Eason. One player expected to return to UW for 2020, that'd be cornerback Elijah Molden, who tweeted this week that he is gearing up for his senior season. Still no word, though, on the status of junior back Savan Ahmed. Expect something soon, though, for him as the Huskies are gearing up for spring ball over the next couple of months. But, uh, yeah, Huskies changing, and like Jimmy Lake said, he wants to be aggressive. No word yet on who the next offensive coordinator could be at Washington, but uh, lots and lots of possibilities bound for the Huskies. Number three. Well, the Wazoo Cougs fell last night to Air Force 31-21 in not much of a surprising game. Uh, to give the Cougs a losing record on the year at 6-7, and seven, they dropped the Cheez-It Bowl. Literally and <laughs> metaphorically, figuratively, whatever Spilled you want to say. Spilled them all over the curve. All over the place there, Curtis. Uh, not to take away from Air Force, though, the Falcons finishing the season 11-2. and two, Triple option, essentially working to near perfection. 371 rushing yards, 43 minutes of possession. Can't win a game if you don't have the ball, and the Cougs barely had the ball in this one. Coach Leach still sitting at two bowl wins uh, for his entire entire time there at Wazoo. And a lot of fans still left scratching their head as it seems like every year 
Leach seems to stumble in the Apple Cup and sort of stumble his way through a bowl game as well. So a lot of questions still to be answered there on the Palouse on what this team will look like. Again, Leach getting extended, so he most likely will not be going anywhere. But still a lot of questions to be asked as you look across the state. And on Montlake, UW finishing one of their best recruiting classes ever. Finishing above Oregon for the first time ever in a recruiting class lot to be answered still left in the uh, state of the Pac-12 football and state of Washington college football. We'll get into that in the 11 o'clock hour a little bit more, but uh, com- confusing stuff here as a Coug fan. I don't know how to feel because, again, I, I understand where they come from and where the uh, the two-win Cougs were, but this uh, this feels weird. This is a definitely a weird feeling to have. Yeah, you go to a bowl game, yep. but you finish with a losing record. Right. Kind of a hollow feeling, yeah. I would imagine. Yes, definitely. And just especially the way you looked in the Apple Cup and have looked in the Apple Cup. And it just, and it's still mind boggling that Leach has two bull wins and Peterson going out with two bull wins as well. Like, yeah. it's, it's a stunner for someone who's known for his big bull victories at Boise State. And all of those big time wins. Now, uh, granted, the Pac-12 championship. He won Pac-12 championships. He went to the Final Four, Rose Bowl. Those are such big accomplishments. But to only win two bowls, it, it's a head scratcher on both sides for different reasons. And it's just a rough way to finish the season, as you mentioned. Yeah. Not looking good in the Apple Cup, and then Air Force just seemed to have an answer for everything related to your offense, and then also. They're they're just a curious team as well. There's some interesting things to watch because what they pass the ball like Twice five or six that. times yeah. at the end of the game and just ran it down your throats were uh, really good on first down. So yeah, it was just it was weird to watch. They had a couple of big moments or explosive plays that you thought they might get back in it, and then unfortunately, no. yeah. After the first quarter, you just you felt this one was different. That. Air Force was able to run essentially and get four yards every single play, and if you do that, you're just gonna you're gonna yeah. suffocate a team. You're gonna take like the ball. Six or eight on first downs. It yep. was amazing. Yeah, forty three minutes of possession. Like, <laughs> that's, that's insane. Insane. Honestly, it's truly insane. Yeah. And they had what was it a twenty play ninety eight yard drive in the first half. Yep. To, and oh. Cougs again leaving the the uh, the early touchdown on the field. Didn't help, but in the end, they still would have lost by four. So it, it, it's good to see that that didn't come down to that, that the, the better team actually won that game, and Air Force was the better team. Yeah, 20 plays, 98 yards, 12 minutes of game clock they ran off on oh. their opening drive of the game. Uh, people who voted for Sammy Baugh on the NFL 100 team, they probably saw that and were like, oh, this this is football. Yeah. That's this some, is how you play the game. That's Sammy Baugh football 101 right there. <laughs> you can watch his film, you know, at a local library. Not on <laughs> on Reel to Reel. Yeah, Reel to Reel. <laughs> uh, some honorable mentions this week for the big three. Tomorrow night, Boz raising the 12th man flag, Brian Bosworth. He joined uh, Bob Dave and Moore yesterday to talk about uh, what, what he's looking forward to. That was a great interview. Yeah, Brian Bosworth, the, the I said the resurrection of Boz because he had a, a disappointing pro career mm-hmm. due to injuries and also PDs and all that. But like he sort of reinvented himself as this like man of the people, actor, Renaissance man, uh, and also former teammate of Dave Wyman. Oh yeah, they're mm-hmm. still buddies. Uh, but yeah, Brian Bosworth. They normally don't announce the twelfth man flag raiser so soon. It's usually like just about an hour or so before game time. Mm-hmm. But this is a big one. 
big personality. Gotta build it up. Yeah, I'm excited to see what the boss is uh, what the boss is going to do tomorrow night. Yeah, and uh, similar story to Ryan Leaf, right? Who also is going through this redemption story. Yeah, and to hear him on the broadcast, exactly for yeah. the cheese bowl. So uh, it's almost. It's a great way to sort of end the decade, right? You have Ryan Leaf calling a Cougar Bowl game and being this well-respected ESPN personality, and you have Boz raising the flag and hype up the crowd for one of the most important games of the decade. It just feels full, it's like a full circle has been completed here in, in the state of Washington. Makes you wonder what 2030 is going to be like. Yeah. Whoa, easy there. <laughs> uh, Sean Alexander. Ooh, Get man. ready, buddy. A couple other uh, quick headlines before we head out. Uh, Huskies finished second in the Diamond Head Classic. They lost the championship game to Houston over in Honolulu over the Christmas holiday. But they wrap up non-conference at 10-3, and uh, and then they kick off Pac-12 play at the start of the new year. Gonzaga ranked number one in the AP poll. They didn't lose as number one, which is pretty rare in college basketball nowadays. I believe they're the sixth different team already mm-hmm. to be ranked number one this season. And now they move into the super easy stretch yeah, West of their Coast schedule. Conference. Could run the table. Could very well do that. But coming up, we've got a lot to get to with this Seahawks game. What role will some key injuries play heading into the game against the 49ers? Quandre Diggs, Jadevian Clowney. Will we see those guys out on the field? But up next... I mean, it's Marshawn Lynch's time, and we're all here for it. We talk Marshawn next, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. You don't feel in beast mode. It feels you. It's just about that action, boss. I mean, I know I'm going to get got. But I'm going to get mine more than I get God done. 15 now, 21. Turn and hand to Lynch. He stutter steps. Breaks through the line, makes a man miss. Cuts back outside, right 30, 35, 40. Down the far sidelines. Pushes a defender. Keeps fighting. He's still moving. He's going to go. Down to the 20, the 15. They're chasing a 10. He dives in. Are you kidding me? Until I can't do it no more, that's all I'm going to do, brother. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad. And it makes you wonder if there's one, maybe two, maybe even three more of those moments still inside of Marshawn Lynch as he makes his conquering hero return to Seattle tomorrow night as the Seahawks take on the 49ers. Sunday Night Football, NFC West on the line, possibly even home field advantage throughout the playoffs on the line. It doesn't get much more dramatic than what we're going to see in about 20, about 30 hours from now. Wow. Some people are counting down to the new year, but we're counting down to Sunday Night Football. Yeah, and just the... It's incredible that, again, earlier this week, I think Seahawks' spirits were near an all-time low after that Cardinal game, and quickly after, spirits are nearing an all-time high heading into the Sunday night football game with the return of Marshawn Lynch and just the ability to win the the conference here or the the division. That's a good point. I want to ask you guys, why do you think that is the turnaround? Because it wasn't just feeling like you got dominated by the Arizona Cardinals in all three phases of the game. It was losing uh, your your main running back, who's losing Chris Carson, C.J. Proces, after already losing Rashad Penny. You're down to Travis Homer, and 
the just it almost was not just a loss, but it was like you saw your playoff hopes just. Well, then also Dwayne Brown undergoing surgery undergoing on his meniscus surgery on Monday, and the fact that you are already still questionable on Jadavian Clowney and Quandre Diggs at the time. So yeah, just hearing that. What was it like for you to go through that emotional turnaround, and why do you think that was? Why do you think you felt hope at the end of that, the end of the dark tunnel? Well, I think everyone remembers Marshawn and what he has accomplished here in Seattle, right? And I think it immediately takes you back to those days of when he was running full speed and he was the the cog at the center of this offense. And I think uh, n- not to any discredit to Seattle, but, but we're pretty nostalgic here in the Northwest. We're loyal. That's what I like to say. Yes. Sometimes to our own detriment. Correct. I mean, we're loyal to players. We're loyal to teams. We're loyal to those years in which we had success and certain feelings and memories that were positive. And so for a lot of our sports teams, there weren't that many memories for a long time. Correct. The history is the feeling that you got watching that player or that team. And, and now to see that come back in the thick of a playoff run and in the thick of a seeding battle that you're having in the NFC, it just, it's so invigorating. It's like a new life has been almost cast upon us because last week it just felt like it was taken away. Like you were watching Chris Carson go down and all these guys go down, watching the way they played against the Cardinals and just thinking to yourself, who are these guys? Like, what is happening? Well, and you look at just the free agent running backs that were available yes. after the game on, on Sunday, mm-hmm. none of us thought Marshawn Lynch was going to be in that group. We're all looking at O.J. Ajayi and C.J. Anderson, potentially. All these guys who have had moments in the NFL, or at least who have put together good games, but none with the resume that Marshawn Lynch brings to the table. And yeah, he's not the 26, 27-year-old running back that he once was. He's 33 years old now, which in running back years is really up there. Sure, but you but, are seeing some guys out there right now, Adrian Peterson, Frank Gore, some guys that are still trucking. And this is a Marshawn Lynch, too, who took the 2016 season off. He has not played in over a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So he's 33 years old in age, but he does not have the mileage of a Frank Gore, somebody who has been you know, continuously playing throughout his entire you know, NFL life. So Marshawn Lynch... Maybe old by age standards and running back years, but workload, he still has, I think he still has some miles left on him. So, yeah, I guess that was my next question mm-hmm. is expectations, right? Now he's on the team. Everyone sort of went through the honeymoon phase of being so excited. And, look, I'm one of those people. I love Marshawn Lynch. But now the question is what can he do on the field tomorrow in the game of the season? Well, let's hear from Marshawn himself. This was from the video that he posted on YouTube uh, right after the signing, but it was actually filmed a few days before it. And he was asked, well, are you the same running back, same beast mode that you used to be? He said, no, but he's also not trying to be. As far as that, don't nothing change. You just, I just, you know, I mean, you know, they got a situation, a great situation going on up there right now. And I mean, uh, you know, I like the guy that they got running for him now. So, you feel me? I don't, I don't see me coming in there to be, to be the, 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 the running back that they had five years ago or something like that. But just, you know, to be able to come in and step in where it's needed, you know what I mean, to be able to help. Knowing that his carries will be limited, but even just the threat of Marshawn Lynch on the sideline and the respect that he commands 
from some former teammates, including Retro Sherman, I think is a big deal. Yeah, I mean, we all know if the Seahawks are in a red zone situation and it's first and goal, <laughs> and and Marshawn yeah. is yeah. on the field, odds are it's probably going to him. Now, I know we have some bad memories of it not going to him, but I think I, I just feel like it's going to be one of those situations where you know it's coming and it's still, even at his age, going to be difficult to stop. We talk about Marshawn and, and just the lift that he's given the fan base over the last, what, 72 hours since he has signed, 96 hours, however long it's been. Pete Carroll spoke yesterday during his press conference and was asked what kind of energy he's given the team. Here's Pete's answer. Well, there's no question, I mean, it's undeniably, there's a, there's a energy about and a juice about him being back here. He's been such an extraordinary player and, and you know character over the years. Uh, for this opportunity and to come back at this time with all that's going on, Christmas and everything, New Year's just around the corner, uh, it's just fitting that we were able to figure it out. And, and uh, I'm thrilled by the way he has brought it and, and learned and, and, and studied and worked at it to, to fit in. It's only been an addition, you know, uh, coming in. So uh, I'm fired up for it. And uh, I, I'm, you know, I, every once in a while, I got to tell you, I'm chuckling a little bit about there he is, you know, he's back with us, you know, and it's exciting. And uh, I like it too, just like the fans like it. I mean, you can tell, like, in Pete's voice, he's genuinely excited. I think there are some times where he talks excitedly, but deep down he's kind of like, I don't know about this. But here he is very much like he's juiced. He is that Pete Carroll that when he is presented with these huge moments, uh, he's at his most intense. And I think that's what we're going to see here. Uh, text coming in on the Coors Light text line, seven ten seven ten from the 480. They say, would I be ashamed if I'd be more excited if Travis Homer had a big game instead of Marshawn Lynch? I don't think so, because I think Travis Homer is going to get the bulk of the carries mm-hmm. tomorrow. I think yep. he's going to get most of them. Schottenheimer talked about that this week as well in his preparation, and he's ready to go. He filled in, according to Pete, admirably in that game when he was asked to not only participate in teams and be a huge role there, but then assume the role of the lead back. So that's a lot for a rookie. I think knowing that even you have some veteran presence, some people that have been there before, who better to – I mean, what's Travis Homer's week like, right? Yeah, <laughs> Marshawn Lynch coming into your running And the confidence now that he can play with knowing that there is a guy when he subs out for those few plays, like Marshawn Lynch, like Robert Turbin, who will be able to come in and change the style of play, make the defense still respect that running back position. And I know, but I agree with the texter. I think Travis Homer's going to have a great mm-hmm. game. And I think that that will be one of the more surprising things. If the Seahawks do win, will most likely be the stat line of Travis Homer and how successful it is. Uh, coming up at 10.15 today, we've got Joe Fan of NBC Sports Northwest. He joins us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. He mentioned this week on Twitter that a couple of weird instances with Marshawn in the team facility, one where he was sitting in Brian Schottenheimer's chair in the running back room uh, mm-hmm. because he didn't know where – you know, where everybody had sat. That was probably his spot when he was here with the team. Um, And then also uh, Joe mentioned that there were Seahawks on the roster that were pretty starstruck in the presence of Marshawn. Because, I mean, this is a guy who a lot of these players grew up watching when they were in, you know, early high school, their college years, where it's like, Sean Lynch. Because remember... Rasheem Green's like 23. Yeah, tw- six years ago was yeah. 2013. Rasheem Green was like getting his driver's license. Yeah. <laughs> so Ooh. those guys now get to play with somebody who has been a super-duper star in the NFL. I mean, that's got to be just 
you know, an incredible, you know, feeling when when somebody big comes around like that. How do you respond? I think the Seahawks right now, maybe the the lift that they're getting from Marshawn is going to be able to be sort of like horse blinders from them or for them so that they can kind of block out the uh, the rest of the stuff that, that's going on with the injuries to Dwayne Brown and, and Quandre Diggs, Jadevian Clowney. Maybe yeah. this can give them that lift. And, of course, Marshawn, just true to Marshawn's self, we'll play you the entirety of his press conference because I think that's that's only right, right? Welcome back. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. What brought you back this time? Happy holidays. Merry New Year. Y'all have a great day. It's a great feeling to be back. Thank you. There we go. The one and only. In its entirety. The man. I love it. Wouldn't have it any other way. Legend. Well, we talked about uh, briefly there, Quandre Diggs, Jadevian Clowney. How are those injuries going to factor into tomorrow's game? Will we even see Quandre Diggs out on the field? Some promising news on that front. We get to that coming up. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Some breaking news in the NFL just about a minute ago. Diana Rossini of ESPN reporting that Jacksonville head coach Doug Marone has been informed he will be dismissed following Sunday's game. Jacksonville searching for a new head coach. Black Monday about 48 hours away when we see tons and tons, well not tons and tons, but a good handful of coaches get their walking papers. Marone added to that list. I think Washington, they're looking for a head coach still. Uh, but not the Atlanta Falcons. Dan Quinn, no. fan favorite. Yeah. Favorite here in Seattle. And I think rightfully so. Absolutely. Genuinely Just, good dude. Yes. And a one kind of, it feels like a weird season where they underachieved. It feels like he shouldn't lose his job for something like that. And it seemed like the players all rallying behind him. So at least there's a good, feel good story in all there because, yes, Black Monday is never no never a happy time. Well, and as we talked about last week with the Tom Coughlin news of yeah. him being let go because of all those grievances filed against Jacksonville's organization, that is a team that very much needs to hit the reset button from mm-hmm. top to bottom, uh, and they're it would appear as though they're doing so by letting go of Doug Marone, their head coach. Uh, that's some NFL news. Uh, we may get into more of that coming up in the Big Three in at the start of the 10 o'clock hour, about a half hour from now. But uh, some news yesterday in the injury report for the Seahawks, Quandre Diggs, who hadn't practiced all week, was upgraded to questionable heading into tomorrow's game against the 49ers. Quandre Diggs suffering from what was a high ankle sprain, and that's normally about a four-, five-, six-week recovery. Unless you're Russell Wilson and you just play on it. Or if you're Quandre Diggs, because it's been, what, less than two weeks since he suffered his. Uh, Pete Carroll yesterday talked about uh, he talked about what they could anticipate for Quandre if he does play tomorrow. He ran both yesterday and today. And, uh, you know, there's a couple miraculous opportunities coming up here in the next, you know, before Sunday. So we'll see what happens. A couple miraculous opportunities. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Yeah. <laughs> Turning water into wine. That, that was a miracle, right? Tis the season. I, and already, yeah, I was going to say, in terms of miracles, it seems like they've already had a couple this week. So they might just be on a roll. Christmas miracle? Miracle yeah. on, uh, what, First Avenue? No, yeah. 34th Street? Occidental. Yeah. Royal Brahm? Something, Royal one of those, one Something of those? around yeah. there. 
if Quandre Diggs is able to go, obviously he is what keeps that secondary together in the handful of games that we've seen him play. But what do you expect from Quandre Diggs if he's 75%? Do you expect him to sort of play to the level that he has been at when healthy this year? That's a great question because when he came over, he wasn't quite healthy as well, and we had to wait a little while to even see him in the game. So who knows if he's played even 100% totally okay this season, and yet he has been your anchor your solidifying presence in in that secondary. And I don't know, I would at least expect him to bring some of that physicality, whether it could be 100%, I don't know. And and what I'm just concerned about is the long term. I, I, I would like to see him not regress and to be able to play in the playoffs however long this stretch grows. Yeah, this is such a weird game because you know – you know, first of all, the Seahawks are in the playoffs, so they're going to be playing in postseason in the postseason no matter what. And how important, I think you hit it right on the head there, Lydia, how important is it to have Diggs in this game and to maybe do some damage to what he could do in the playoffs versus resting him and bringing him back slowly and knowing that you'll need him in the playoffs, which you are already qualified for. So... It's that balance, and you're seeing it in other sports. Like the workload management is becoming a thing in other sports, and how do you manage his workload going into one of the most, if not the most important game of the season? Yeah, and and you wonder if the Seahawks do go on a deep playoff run or if they're gearing up for a deep playoff run, how much will see starters out there tomorrow? Let's say the game is in hand early in the third quarter. Are we going to see them back off of having their starters out there? Are we going to see Russell Wilson maybe sit down for a little bit, whether it's you know in favor of the Seahawks or in, the for, in favor of the 49ers? Because really there's no point in having these guys out there if the game is in hand and you know you have much bigger opportunities coming your way a week from tomorrow. The best part about that is the players don't believe that and <laughs> believe in that, that sort of mentality at all. They're preparing like, this is it. i got to be out there. All of us got to be out there. If you can even be somewhat out there, you got to try and give it a go because this is what you play for. And, and Clowney even talking about how this week was different. Yeah, another guy giving it a go yeah. Yeah, tomorrow. This, he was talking to Joe Fan, and I really loved this question, too, about uh, giving it everything he's got even when he's injured. I, mean, I, I watch around the building and watch what they do for the team, other guys on the team do for the team, and I'd be selfish for myself to do that. Uh, just to try to not go if I could and get them everything I got. If I didn't do that, I'd be a selfish person. I ain't no selfish person, so I'm going to go ahead and get them what I got and uh, let the chips fall with me. Yeah, he doesn't strike me as that and has always been popular with his teammates. And so, yeah, I, that's having him and Quandry Diggs in this game could mean so much for this defense, especially considering what happened in the last game versus the 49ers. They'll be out D Ford. He will not be playing this weekend as well. And I think who else is maybe questionable? Chiquisky Tart. Chiquisky Tart, mm-hmm. uh, safety there. But, yeah, it, this is a ha- all hands on deck, I think. And you have to believe, if Pete Carroll's sell, that you are going to win this game. Clowney's last game against the 49ers, he got hurt apparently early on in that one and <laughs> still had the game of his life coming up with a touchdown, a sack, had, what, 11 quarterback pressures? That's and this just, guy's probably got a hernia. 
Yeah. Yeah. In all seriousness. Yeah. Like maybe two. And is still somehow able to produce and get the production, even not statistically, but to get people to to double team him, to open it up for other people on that defensive line. And I think that will be the key this weekend is I'm not expecting these sort of all pro numbers from Clowney or Diggs or Marshawn even. Those aren't the things I'm expecting. The things I'm expecting are for the, the Niners to have to take those players seriously and the trickle-down effect on what opportunities open up because of those players being focused on. It's really a testament to their whole season, I feel like, too, because it hasn't been one where it's one standout player or several standout players or even stats that eye pop, but it is the team that can win close games and can come together in the moment and play for each other. When you look at the injuries the Seahawks are dealing with and the ones that the 49ers are dealing with, D Ford already out. Like he's not going to play. He's probably their well. He's their second best pass rusher behind Nick Bosa, but still, that is a huge, huge bit of production they're going to have to find somebody else to make up for. Uh, they don't have Quan Alexander anymore. He's Big. out for the season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jaquiski Tart out. That's three starters on that defense that are out. And yeah, they've kind of filled in Alexander because he's been out for multiple weeks now. But you look at the Seahawks and how banged up they are, it's not like the 49ers are coming into this game with a clean bill of health either. Yeah, they get George Kittle in this game, which he he didn't play the first game. That's going to be a huge difference in Sunday's game because as we've seen time and time again, the Seahawks have had trouble with tight ends. But to give the Seahawks a death sentence after what they experienced in Week 16, like I don't know if that's fair to them especially considering the opponent that they're facing in Week 17 also very banged up. Yeah, and we didn't even mention Sherman with the uh, yeah. the leg injury there and what sort of, uh, not damage, but essentially what sort of effect it will have on Sherman the way he plays because we know how he likes to be physical, likes to play that one-on-one, you know, get in the receiver's grill. Will you know he... how tough he is, too. Right. He will go out there and oh, play yes. when he is, yeah. But will he be more effective in man-to-man than he is normally? Will he be more effective in his own sort of defensive package, just knowing that he isn't fully healthy and has to sort of rely on some other people and scheme to help him out? So I'm fascinated to see. And you're right, Curtis. The Niners aren't as this healthy beacon. They're, what, four and three in their last seven. So they're not playing world-beater football either. I know that they should be the odds odds on favorite, but I don't think it's as ridiculous of a gap as some people may make it out seem. Now we've mentioned Clowney and Diggs pretty much the duration of this segment. There's another guy coming back in week or week 17 that we haven't mentioned yet, and that's Shaquille Griffin. Pete Carroll talked yesterday about how having Clowney. And Griffin back is huge. It's a huge deal. I mean, our top cover guy and our top rusher, I mean, that's that's a big deal. And, and so uh, it's great to have those guys back out. I mean, we saw the Seahawks defense without Shaquille Griffin last week. I mean, even Brett Hundley was having his way <laughs> with Seattle's defense. You add your best cover corner. You add your center fielder safety guy in Quandre Diggs, who knows how healthy he's going to be. Your best pass rusher in Jadevian Clowney. You look at the 49ers, on the other hand, they're going to be without their center fielder safety, Jaquiski Tart, their second-best pass rusher, Jadevian Clowney, one of their best linebackers, Quan Alexander. Like All of a sudden, I kind of feel like the scales may be tipping back towards Seattle. 
now the rest of Seattle's defense I don't think matches up to what the rest of San Francisco's defense mm-hmm. is, but I think yeah. those three guys are very comparable to who San Francisco is missing. Keeping in mind, too, the last time they played, they didn't have George Kittle, and was it Matt Breda was kind of injured in that game, or was he entirely out? I can't remember. But they were definitely hampered on that front as well, so they'll have some pieces back. At the same time, you put the ball in Russell Wilson's hands versus Jimmy Garoppolo, and I'll I'll tell you who I trust in, in a clutch moment. <laughs> Yeah, he did convert yeah. some beautiful three third and sixteens in the last game at the same time, but I still would put my money on Russell Wilson any day of the week. I mean, that's the reason why Seahawks fans should be should have confident. any sort of confidence mm-hmm. is you have an MVP candidate on your team, and and he's ready to ride. So if you have someone like that, especially at the quarterback position, you should have some confidence in every single game. Man, I'm just I want it to be. Sunday night. I know. <laughs> right now. Like let's let's each segment we do though, Curtis, pushes us closer and closer <laughs> to that goal. Coming up, we've got uh, our big three in about fifteen minutes from now. But before that, college football playoff begins today. You can hear it right here on seven ten ESPN beginning at one o'clock. LSU, some new blood in this one. They take on number four Oklahoma, Ohio State Clemson in the nightcap. Who do we see advancing? How do we see tonight's games playing out? We get into that. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Bull season. Huskies and Cougs, they've got their bulls out of the way. Their offseason begins. But the real bowl games, the bowl games that matter, the ones that people aren't skipping, those ones get underway today, starting with the Peach Bowl between LSU, number one LSU. I think they're the, the people's champ. Is that fair to say? I'd say so. Yeah. Ed Orgeron, just too darn likable. Joe Burrow, also a very lucky. Doing a press conference. Guys. <laughs> doing a press Thank conference. Thank you. Guys. Gotta so love, good. Gotta love Coach O. Coach O, and he won Coach of the Year. He's also got the Heisman winner on his team, Joe Burrow, winning every single award that exists. John Embry, another, another great young man from Destrehan, Louisiana. Hold on a second. Hey, guys. Hey. I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. Uh, great young man. On a scrimmage, we wanted to get bigger. I'll stop. Hey. Stop the ball. Stop the drill. I'm having a press conference. Thank you. We have to fix the line of scrimmage. Went it's all the, the way to Michigan. It's the seamless transitions yeah. that just get me. Yeah. I'll and, stop them. And just the, the southern politeness still. Yeah. And Please stop. Even when you're yelling, yeah. it's polite. His voice sounds like he's got gravel in his throat, mm-hmm. too. It's, it's the best. Um, but also Joe Burrow, very likable guy as their starting quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner. LSU takes on number four Oklahoma, Jalen Hurts. Uh, so very likable. Yeah, going from backing up at Alabama to now starting at Oklahoma. He's he went. I believe he played in four straight college football playoffs. Wow, which I don't think anybody's ever done before. So, shout out to him for making some history. And then in the nightcap, number three Clemson, number two Ohio State. Big question marks. Uh, first off, LSU running back Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Uh, Ed Orgeron thinks. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to play tomorrow. He injured his hamstring earlier this month. Uh, still hasn't practiced, uh, but he did some light work with the training staff 
Reported a little bit of soreness afterwards, but then also Justin Fields, quarterback for the Buckeyes. He, of the 40 touchdowns to one interception ratio, uh, he's going to be wearing a brace today on his, I believe, his left leg. I uh, said he's about an 85% health. When you look at these injuries, I think the Fields one jumps out to me the most because he's statistically one of the most impressive players in the country. He's a quarterback. And Ohio State's offense very much reliant upon his his arm and, and just everything that he does for the Buckeyes. When you look at these two games right now, which one which one do you think is going to be the more entertaining one? Nightcap. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but I also don't want to count out that early game too. I think Oklahoma is is sneaky good. I I don't think they're as good as as LSU. Um, but I think a, a lot of people have written off. Oklahoma and the Sooners as just being a stepping stone essentially for this LSU team, but they just seem to find a way to get back into these games, find a way to hang around with these teams, and Mm -hmm. that's the the sign of an elite squad, especially in colleges, the ability to just find a way back into some of those games. Yeah, they don't have a problem playing down, that's for sure, coming back and close games, as you mentioned, but they were the team that was like, we knew who the top three were. We knew that these were the three best teams, and the fourth was kind of more of a question mark, Mm -hmm. but... I agree. It's still going to be entertaining. It's college football on the biggest stage. I just think that that game that we'll see tonight is almost like a final game in the semifinals. It is, and I think you look at Clemson and how they've gotten here this year, I think a lot of people view them as having made the playoff solely on reputation. They haven't played a ranked team at all this season. They're 13-0, and and they've really blown everybody out. They've also had a couple of close games here or there, which can make your resume not look as impressive as the 13-0 record is. But also, they won 15 straight games a year ago. They're on a, a winning streak right now of, what, 28 in a row? So, like, I can't even fathom rooting for a team that's won 28 straight in any sport. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> really? No, I can't. Uh, and yet, Clemson continues to win. Trevor Lawrence has never lost a game. I don't know if he's ever lost a game in high school or wherever, but which is remarkable considering at at one point this year his touchdown to interception ratio was about even, not yeah. so good. But he really picked it up in the second half of the season. And I mean, it's the college football playoff. I'm not going to count out Clemson. No, Clemson is just such an interesting story. And I pulled up their their sports reference page here, and I'm looking at their record. Ten years ago, the start of the decade. They were where the Cougs are at, 6-7, and seven, coming off a loss, the Meineke Care Car Bowl. Oh, man. You didn't know what this program was going to be. Dabo Sweeney, second year, and then now Clemson is the, the top dog in college football. Still getting those big recruiting classes. Um, and I just wonder... Who is the next Clemson? Will there be a next Clemson? Is there someone? Is it Washington? Is is it USC reemerging back to those things? Is there another team that's going to rise from one of these other conferences other than the SEC to sort of take over one of those playoff spots? What think, are you guys think? I think that's why they were able to rise because they were in a conference that was down because they were in a conference where they needed a star and a powerhouse to sort of emerge. SEC, uh, Big Ten, Big 12 didn't really necessarily need that, but the Pac-12 has been hurting for that, I think, like a consistent star. 
we've had not since the USC days, I think, and Pete Carroll's. Oregon had a little run there too with mm-hmm. Chip Kelly, but to a lesser extent than yes. USC did. Yeah. But like a a full on, you don't have doubts about this team for several years type of dynasty that they're building. I don't know. I don't know. Clemson's pretty remarkable. And how did Dabo Swinney manage to sell his team on the fact that they're underdogs? That also is remarkable narrative writing on his part because he has sort of been on that uh, train. I heard a couple of interviews with him throughout this year of, oh, the college football playoff committee is counting us out and they don't respect us. And how is it possible that the team that hasn't lost in 28 games and is the defending national champions is now selling themselves as underdogs? And also a team that bludgeoned Alabama. An Alabama team last year that we looked at as one of the greatest ever until they got to that national championship game. Uh, You know, Clemson with Travis Etienne. You've got Justin Ross. I mean, they've got not just, like, top-level talent, but talent that isn't even, like, eligible for the (laughs) NFL draft yet. Yeah. So next year Clemson could very well be right back where they are and yet we still kind of look at them as, like, especially this specifically this season, I'll say, as sort of that maybe, you know, I think a lot of people are looking at LSU-Ohio State as the national championship game. But Dustin Fields being dinged up, not at 100%, I think that opens the door wide open for Clemson tonight. Yeah, and they've only lost four games since 2015. It's a, it's remarkable. It's it's hard to pick against Clemson. How just, many were to Alabama? Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and two, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to pick against a team that consistently for the past five years has been putting up numbers, putting up wins, dominating wins like that. So this is going to be a great day for college football. I think you're going to see a lot of stories and a lot of narratives starting to be written today going into the offseason in the national championship game and what can what can Clemson do again you know can LSU pull off this darling season that they've they've accomplished so far or you know will some of these teams we think are going to fall Oklahoma you know Ohio State can they step up and, and finally win the big one against one of these guys so so many things could happen today and it'll be really interesting to see tomorrow you know what the storylines are going forward. My biggest hope, though, for these semifinal games is that they're compelling because Please. in years past, the semifinals have kind of been duds. We've yes. seen a lot of blowouts uh, because Alabama and Clemson—they've met so many times in the national championship game—were leaps and bounds ahead of everybody else. I think the best, the best semifinal game I can remember was Georgia Oklahoma in the Rose yeah. Bowl a couple of years ago uh, when when. Glasses kicker himself, Rodrigo Blankenship. Oh, the legend. With, uh, with the game-winning kick. I mean, that dude, hot rod. Hot <laughs> rod, Roddy Blankenship. <laughs> Gotta love him. Uh, but, yeah, those games get underway today beginning at 1 o'clock. You can hear both of them right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in the next hour, Joe Fan of NBC Sports Northwest. He joins us to help preview tomorrow's Seahawks 49er game that's coming up at 10-15. We also go through... Some of the best moments in Seattle sports in 2019. That's coming up at 10.30, but we give you our big three to start off the 10 o'clock hour next. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle.